What's up, everyone? If this is your first time joining our show, welcome to Third Shot Podcast. And if you're a repeat listener, thank you so much for your continued support and welcome back. Don't forget to subscribe or follow our show on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, please give us a rating. We prefer the five stars, maybe four stars, but we'll take it all and leave us a comment. We love to see them coming through. Um, and we got another great episode in store for you. So Uncle Greg and Russ, we've got our glasses ready to toast to another episode of Third Shot. Cheers. Looks like you guys are starting the day a lot stronger than I am. I just got strong <laughs> coffee. You, you've got definitely something stronger there. <laughs> well, I, uh, yeah, you know, I, I you know, I, I enjoy getting the day started on the right note. So why not loosen up? <laughs> yeah, it's the weekend. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It's a good time. It's a good time. Speaking of the weekend, what do you guys, both of you, all three of us actually are big sports fans. Russ, you're going to Giants games. Bridgie, you're posting stuff all the time, going to pro lacrosse. You're going to the Vegas Knights. Uh, you know, you Yeah, Vegas has blown up with their sports for yeah. sure. And we yeah. love to go watch all of them. Right? You're you're going to watch it's like it's like what's the favorite sport that you have to watch in person versus TV? Mm. All of you... them. I think it's so much better <laughs> in person than on TV. <laughs> I, I, baseball either way. Um really. Uh for me, the difference would be so I don't like going to a football game. Cause there's so many breaks. There's so many timeouts. There's mm -hmm. so many, like, I don't enjoy football in person at all. I know I'm, I'm that's probably, we're going to get hate mail for that. But um, on, on the opposite side of that, I, I like watching it on TV, basketball, love it in person. It's fantastic in person. It's so much fun. Like we just went to a Warriors game a couple of weeks ago. Fantastic. Watching it on TV. Totally boring. <laughs> I can't do it. Wow. Even a playoff wow. game. Like I I like Warriors, you know, they're they're tied up in the, you know, whatever. Uh, it, like I don't care. Like I can't watch it on TV. I'll just watch it or see a recap on YouTube afterwards. So it's it's kind of weird. Like that is weird. Because, you know, uh, you know, my wife, your auntie and I, it's like date night every time the Warriors are on TV. Like mm -hmm. we will make sure that we get together and carve out time to watch the Warriors play on TV. That's our favorite sport to watch on television. Really? Wow. And to get yeah. Auntie to watch too, I mean, she must really like it. <laughs> like, she turns off the true crime for, you know, three nice. hours for us to watch Shocking. a basketball game together. Yeah, she, uh, I mean, we're both big Warriors fans. And, you know, we were lucky enough to go to a championship game against mm -hmm. LeBron when we, we beat LeBron one year, right? So that was fantastic. So we enjoy going to Warrior games in person and watching it on TV. Um, football, because I bet on it, I love watching it on television, but for a different reason. So on television, you know, a lot of times what I catch, unless the Raiders are playing, because I'm a huge Raiders fan and Niners fan, I will watch those games, you know, full on through. But otherwise, I'm watching Red Zone or I'm watching the NFL mm -hmm. Network just to see the scores because I want to know, like, how are my bets doing and how's my right. fantasy football doing? So I don't know. Maybe I'm weird, but that's how that's how I watch football. 
Well, growing up, I always knew you to be like the sports guy because, you know, my dad was never much of like a, a sports watcher. But whenever we'd have our family functions, yeah. Uncle Greg was always turning on the TV for, I don't know, football, <laughs> basketball. It didn't matter what it was, but he was always putting sports on TV. So I know that he loves watching it on TV, in person, reading about it. <laughs> You know what? On television right now, the majority of just regular television, not like Netflix or that type of stuff, but just regular television is sports for me. That's mm -hmm. what I use regular television for. And then I do my movies yeah. and my, you know, series and stuff like that, usually on Netflix or Hulu or something like that. Well, watching so many sports and loving pickleball, are you like an avid watcher of pickleball? Yes. <laughs> and, it, and it's crazy because I will find it on YouTube. Like you, you have like on your on your television where you can talk into the remote and say, "Hey, look up something." Can you, and and it finds it for you. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's what I do. I say pickleball, and it'll, <laughs> it'll find it'll find all the different venues and different events that are recorded on pickleball, and I'll watch all the pro events. I. You know, because you and I, Bridgie, play in tournaments together, sometimes I'll look up mixed doubles 3.5 at the PPA event and some some tournament just to see, like, how good are they? <laughs> I don't, I like, not like I'm scouting them, but I'm, like, just trying to figure out, okay, are we at that level? Are we better than that level? Uh, yeah, I'm sick. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I watch pickleball a lot on television. And pretty much, I would say, now, I could be wrong on this, but I would say if it has been broadcasted and recorded, I have probably watched it. Pickleball. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was looking at my phone because I, I took a screenshot of this, knowing that you watch a lot of sports online. And I wanted to give you the statistics. I know you watch pickleball. Yeah. So there is an estimated 36.5 million pickleball players in the United States. Okay. Wow. What uh, percent of these players do you think are watching pickleball matches televised? Oh, out of 36 That's a million? tough one. Oh, man. Yes. We should bring out the Jeopardy theme song for this one. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> just throw out a number. Oh. Like, just guess the number, not a percent. To watch. I mean, I kind of have an idea on this. Um, it's definitely less than a million. I would say it, it might even be less than 500,000 are watching okay. on television. Yeah, that's my guess. Okay, Russ, what do you think? You're a numbers guy. Yeah, I I, I would say it's maybe like 5% or 2%. So 5%. It's, 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 so it's below 5% of, of people that are watching. Well, okay. both of you are correct. It's actually below 1%. Oof. And well, one percent. Wow. It's estimated about four hundred and ninety-one thousand, and that yeah. was the most popular. PPA that was the format. that was the biggest. That was the big, most watched. Was four hundred ninety thousand? The most wow. viewed PPA tour match on YouTube of twenty twenty-three. So these stats were posted by the Dink Pickleball, oh. which you know everyone's familiar with. Yeah. Um, but that just you know brings up a a talking point of like. It's such a popular sport, but why aren't people watching it? What do you think? Well, I think 
a lot of it has to do okay so i talk into my you know like i said i talk into my remote to find it if i didn't have that feature that's not advertised like i don't know when something is going to be even though i know the pro events are on weekends right and usually have the semis and the, and the finals on saturday sunday it's still tough for me to find what network is covering it is it youtube is it cbs is, you know where am i going to find it and i think you know, with football, the NFL, you know, every Sunday and, and every Monday and now every Thursday night, you know, you know exactly when to find it. It's destination television for fans, right? For pickleball, you just don't know which events are covered, which ones aren't, where, what network. I think that has a lot to do with it. What do you think, Russ? I, you know, I'm going to do the whole, you know, uh, riches in the niches thing uh, of, of saying that, you know, the way that, that broadcast and even, you know, video con consumption online has changed is it's all about niche. So I think like the huge audiences of the old days are just gone. You know, like I, I think even the Super Bowl now gets less people watching um, than than it did before. I think I don't know. I could be totally wrong on that. But I know, you know, like we're not watching the Tonight Show all together every night anymore. You know, we're not watching like as a group, these big, like mass appeal things. And I mean, I think that's why, you know, like this show does well because it's super niche. It's just about pickleball and, you know, whatever, whatever silly things I'm going to say. Um, and and so I think that's why we're probably never going to see it go higher just because it's super niche. But you know, like I said, you know, the, the, the riches are in the niches. So it could be successful and it could like, you know, get some, you know, high level sponsors and whatnot, just because you've got the hardcore fans uh, watching that. So I, I think that's what it's going to be. I think it'll always be a, a low number. I'm kind of surprised that it is as low as it is, but. Isn't it shocking though? 1%? Yeah. Yeah. Like 1% of players really actually watch on television pickleball right that's that's crazy low you know the other thing though is do people even know about it do people even know it's there like you're saying right like you you get it on your tv but even if people with the the button that they can press to go search for pickleball are they doing that right you know like are they even thinking that it's there or are they just going to watch lessons you know are they looking up lessons on pickleball not people playing pickleball and I mean, you know, you do get better by watching the players, right? Like, right. you know, <laughs> you, you you see what they do and you can sort of replicate. But I, I think maybe people just don't even know it's there. Well, for the people that do know it's there, this question's for Bridgie. Like, you you know, Annalie is at the top for game. She's in every finals. Ben Johns, Colin Johns, they're usually in every men's doubles finals. You know, call or Ben is in every men's singles finals. You know, it's a very small group of people that are making it to the semis and finals each week. Do you think that's good for the sport, or do you think that's bad for the sport as far as viewing it goes? That's a great question. I think that you know it does kind of help to see the same names popping up because the sport is so new that you only not have to, but it, it's easier to start recognizing a few of the top players mm -hmm. rather than having to learn who the top like 20 are in the rotation 
But then again, on the flip side, if there were, you know, a top 20 that you knew of, there may be more competition and more intrigue to see, okay, who's going to be going. Um, But I do think that part of the problem is that it's like having professional pickleball be on TV is so new still that people are getting used to watching it. Like it, it wasn't accessible to them like a few years ago. And so they have to gain that fandom behind it to where people are going to seek it out and to watch mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Russ? Does having the the same kind of cast of characters help or hurt watching Tickleball? Well, I I feel like it it would. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 almost like, you know, look at any sport, right? Like, you know, you've got, well, okay, the Warriors, you know, Steph Curry. I mean, he brings new people in, right? Like yeah. people are just watching because of him. Yeah. Or, you know, do that for any sport. And and there's people watching um, because of that. And it's like, if there's some like super like, oh, my God, this person's amazing. Then I think that that'll bring a breakthrough in it. Yeah. Um, like Michael Jordan. Like, I mean, he revolutionized exactly. like right. Tiger Woods revolutionized golf. Right. There's exactly. The Batch Brothers. Transcendent players. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's uh, when when somebody breaks through like that and becomes more of like a pop culture icon, then it's going to bring more people to it as well. It's a fascinating topic. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, pro pickleball and just pickleball in general grows moving forward. And lucky for us, we have a fantastic guest to give us some insight to this because we have uh, David Hathaway, who is a pickleball player agent. We've never had an agent on our show before, and he's the founder of Godfather Pickleball Agency. And he can kind of peel it back a little bit and, and tell us a little bit about what it is like on the business side of pickleball. So stay tuned and, and come back and, and meet with David. Thanks for hanging out with us and welcome back to Third Shot Podcast. We always appreciate all the support, uh, social media. And you know what? I I don't usually mention, but go to our website too, thirdshotpodcast.com. I'm wearing, for the people watching on YouTube, some of our merch. You're welcome to get some of our shirts or sweatshirts. We got hoodies. We got a whole bunch of good stuff. So please go check it out and follow us on our Instagram and Facebook at Third Shot Podcast on X third shot pod and you can actually see us on youtube now so check us out third shot podcast on youtube hey we are really excited to have david hathaway who is the founder of godfather pickleball agency we've never had a pickleball agent on before we can't wait for the conversation so welcome david to the show thank you and it's a it's a pleasure and thanks for having me yeah thank you david for joining us today and we'll do a little toast before we jump into the questions to our first agent yeah. on the Shot Podcast. Yeah. Cheers. Exciting. Cheers. So I'm sure we've got millions of questions for you because this is such an interesting topic to us. But before we dive into it, just to kind of set the scene, get some context, can you share with us what your background was before starting Godfather Pickleball Agency? Sure, sure. Thanks again for having me. Um, 
I was an interest rate derivatives trader on Wall Street for about 20 years. Um, the last 10 years I spent managing Sandpiper Asset Management, which, which was a small global macro hedge fund here in Neptune Beach, Florida, right outside of Jacksonville in the northeast corner. Um, I semi-retired approximately 18 months ago and have a host of entrepreneurial ventures. About four months ago, a good friend of mine, Rafa Hewitt, gave me a call and asked me to be his agent. It was a time in pickleball with which is known as Tour Wars, and he wanted business advice, financial advice. I quickly realized he needed legal advice, so I partnered with my best friend at, who attended the University of Virginia with me, um, who has been a 20-year contract attorney. And over the weekend, we launched Godfather Pickleball, representing Rafa Hewitt to start, and quickly thereafter, uh, Pablo Tea. And wow. over the past three or four months, we've grown over a roster of over 15 professional pickleball players, and it's been an adventure. Wow. So I'm, I'm just, yeah, that is amazing. In, in a short amount of time, it just shows the need that, uh, you know, players need for, you know, to have agents to represent them and make sure they're getting into good contracts. Before we get into the, that whole business side of it, I'm just curious to be a pickleball agent. Do you have to play pickleball? Do you play? Do you enjoy? I do. I do. I, I played tennis very briefly at the University of Virginia um, back in the late 90s. I picked up a pickleball paddle in 2018 and being an ex-college tennis player and a high level tennis player, I thought I could just go down and enter the pro draw and compete at the professional level. Wow. Um, after getting quickly defeated by Anton Gutz, who remains one of the top 20 or 50 players in the world, I realized that this professional division is a little bit different. These guys actually know what they're doing. The transition <laughs> from competitive tennis wasn't as easy. Um, launched a small business called Pickleball by Pros with Rafa and Frank Anthony Davis and a host of other pros, um, which we sold digital membership subscription lessons. Eventually, mm -hmm. most of the pros were giving it away for free on on YouTube, so that business didn't quite uh, pan out financially for us. But it did allow me great relationships with a lot of the pros. I became close friends with them and kind of a de facto business advisor to them on occasion. And when Tour Wars was erupting over the weekend, it, Rafa quickly called me up, explained the situation and the level of interest and frankly, money available or being thrown around or previously available, we'll find out if it's actually going to be available at some point, um, was interesting for me, the time that it takes to be an agent and a representative is a lot. There's a lot that goes in it from a digital media perspective, social media marketing perspective, um, obviously a legal, huge legal element that is important. And so we thought if we professionalized it into a full-blown agency, that players would, the demand would be there, and it has been. We launched word of, well, at the beginning, we were mostly word of mouth as we were getting some traction and kind of getting our feet wet in the space. But when we posted or started posting our clients and something else on our social media channel, the flood of pros DMing us was interesting. And it's obviously a need. Yeah. These are professional athletes, not always 
adept at a lot of the business opportunities, the legal contracts that they're signing or not or being presented to them. And so we, we just want to make sure they're professionally represented and taken care of to the best of our ability. So, well, congratulations on getting so many people already on board <laughs> with your agency in such a short amount of time. Thank um, you. What's the vetting process like if you're able to share that when someone reaches out, maybe, you know, via Instagram or social media or maybe just a phone call? What does that vetting process look like to get them onto your team? Sure. So we schedule a we schedule a, you know, a Zoom call, an introductory call. We present ourselves. We introduce ourselves. We explain our backgrounds. We explain why we're here and how we got to this position. And then we get to know the players. And being a fan of the sport, I've probably already heard of um, most of them or know of them anyway, or have already been close friends with them. Um, but we have a, a host of clients that run the gamut from kind of OG players who've been around the space for a long time and are still competitive, um, but perhaps not in the semis or quarters of every PPA event. A lot of our players signed MLP deals, which what has gone on over the last three or four months and continues to this day remains uncertain. So they're interested there. Um, our contract is unilateral, is bilateral, not unilateral. So, you know, if it's not a fit for us or it's not a fit for them or over any span of time, we can walk away with those strings attached. Um, Anything that they have already currently in place, we're, we're not charging fees on for our times or efforts. If we create value and we think we can create value for the player, then it's probably a good partnership. Um, so I wouldn't say that I'm running background checks on any of these players, but I, I, I am a fan and I, and I probably am a friend of most of them anyway. So it's been exciting. Well, I think the timing is, is so necessary right now for the players because of all, everything that's going on with the PPA saying, hey, you guys got these contracts. It looked fantastic. It looked like it was going to change the whole landscape for professional players and, and get them paid. And then that changed very quickly. If you could walk our audience through what happened, like, you know, originally what happened with the, the contracts, how did they get pulled? How is it? changing what's the landscape moving forward now so there was a weekend where mlp and ppa were competing very heavily to purchase and secure talent for each tour individually um, and unfortunately and i make the joke hopefully it's not at anyone's expense but they weren't quite very attuned with the sum if function in excel and so when they <laughs> when they when they had a budget of X, they spent two or three times X, uh, both independently. They were wow. excited. They, they understood the growth. They understood the profit potential in the long term uh, for securing some of the top players in the game. And they were competing over, frankly, over a weekend to lock up some of the best pros and the best talent in the world to secure the future of their dominance as an individual asset um, to each organization. Uh, unfortunately, after time went on, they started adding up the liability stream that they committed to and realized that they probably didn't make the best business decision. And from a cash flow perspective, professional pickleball still isn't a very profitable business to be in um, until and if they land a, this is just my opinion, 
they land a, you know, a large media TV deal. Um, some of the finances, as with any business that's in its infancy, and professional pickleball still is, is not financially cash flowing possibly. And so they had to secure investors. MLP, for example, has 24 teams, all of which are owned by very successful, very independently wealthy um, individuals who all have their own legal teams. They all have their egos. They all have their successes and viewpoints. So from that point of collaboration, you're hurting a lot of cats, so to speak. And then from a PPA side, they have a very successful financial tournament division. However, the professional landscape is still being figured out from a financial viability point of view. And so the tours are attempting to merge. The date has been pushed back two or three times so they can make good on their commitments to some of the players that they signed back in the fall of last year. Yeah. And then and then what happened? Because, you know, we see in the news that, you know, people lost their contract or, you know, they, I don't know, how do you, what's the legal well, term? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that anyone's lost their contract. These contracts have not been defaulted on. Um, these contracts contain time periods that allow the payments to be made in a delayed fashion. So in the back of some of these contracts, there's a leniency period provided to make good on your financial obligations unless the deals are renegotiated. So, and I'll, I'm not going to get specific onto any individual contract, but let's just make up a number, whether it's 15 days, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. If you were supposed to pay a player on January 1st, you actually have 45 or 60 or 90 days to make that payment. And so from a financial standpoint, if you're a professional athlete, you're fronting all the travel expenses, all the, everything that goes along with being a top performance athlete until those obligations are made whole. Gotcha. And so from wow. the tour, That's still stressful from, for them. <laughs> yeah. And from the tourist perspective, they're not in breach of contract. These contracts have terms, they're legally binding documents, and they allow for such a period of leniency to make those obligations. At the end of which, if they fail to make good on their, they're in breach of contract, and there's legal unwinds for that thing, for that process to proceed. That is a lot going on. And yeah, I can and imagine. From a human level, it's difficult. Um, yeah. yeah, these tours primary asset is their talent and their players. Their primary liability is also the players. So there's a balancing function. Um, and they made some probably unfortunate decisions in the fall that they're trying to unwind and work out as we go forward. Have you seen amongst the players that what's going on right now kind of affecting their morale or kind of, you know, just their overall kind of disposition, yeah, I, I suppose? Sure. I mean, the vision that sparked this increase in pay was to provide these professional athletes with the financial resources that they could truly devote 100% of their time, energy, and efforts to playing professional pickleball. 
And they all loved that. That was new. That was, I won't say that's revolutionary, but in the evolution of professional pickleball, that hadn't been seen before. Most of these players have or had second jobs that kind of financed their journey, or they had large sponsor, large-ish um, sponsors arrangements to allow them to play professional pickleball. And so when they did sign these commitments, a lot of them did quit or take a reduction in their full-time jobs. And now, yeah, the strain of weekly life and travel and the expense of being a peak performance athlete uh, is wearing on them. And then to add to that, I, I, I believe when we were talking off air, you were saying the prize funds at the, at the Masters tournament, for example, earlier this year, there was no prize fund. Is that is that the case? There was no prize money, to the best of my knowledge, uh, at PPA Masters. Again, I don't want to s- spread rumors or talk out of out of turn, um, but I know some of our athletes performed exceptionally well and made it to the quarters and the semis, and there was no prize money. And the prize money uh, wasn't advertised, and it wasn't. I'm not saying anyone was misled by the tours. But the, the prize money grid, for example, that was, existed last year for PPA events was removed prior to the Masters. And, as, and again, as far as I know, um, no one was compensated for their performance at the Masters. I mean, that just adds to the financial stress that these players, you know, they're traveling all the way to, you know, California to play in Masters. Sure. And, you know, it's, it's not cheap. And then even if they do well, they, they don't make money. I, I want to take a step back, though. You you, you know, there was a, a prize grid, obviously, last year. But how high do you need to finish to actually make any money at these pro events? So the landscape has changed a little bit with the progressive draw and the increase and in influx of younger, call it unknown pickleball players who are actually really good and talented entering the qualities and the pre-qualities and then advancing to the main draw. Traditionally, you would get paid per per round of the main draw an additional chunk of money, depending on how far you went in a given, whether it's gender doubles, mixed doubles, or singles. But the progressive draw also has added a lot of financial difficulty because if you aren't one of the elite and you're getting placed in automatically into the main draw, you're arriving at these venues on Monday, playing Tuesday. If you achieve your dream and make it all the way to final Sunday, you're spending a week away from your family or you're paying for your family to be there. You're spending a week away from your job if you do have another full-time job. Uh, and you're spending a week on the road, which is ex- which can be very expensive. Yeah. So the financial math doesn't doesn't really work at all unless you have a really good sponsor who who believes in you and wants their brand um, viewed by as many eyeballs as possible throughout that week. But then and then you were also saying that a lot of players have their in their sponsorship contracts. Um, kind of percentage of winnings kind of get matched by the sponsor in some cases. Some paddle right. companies would do that. So in the master situation where there was no prize money, 
the players didn't even get the sponsorship funds, even if they advanced. That's right. Um, a lot of the traditional sponsorship deals that the large manufacturers have created over the years was to incentivize peak performance and get, you know, through enough spaces in the draw was matching or doubling or tripling, depending on who the athlete is and what the company is, uh, prize money incentives in their contracts. And right now, through my conversations with a bunch of the major paddle manufacturers, we are all trying to collaborate and try to solve that issue. Yeah, I was just going to ask after that, do you think there's going to be some renegotiating of sponsorship deals after all of this has happened? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you take a client that regularly finishes in the semis, but he had, he is still under a, he or she is still under a deal that they signed 12 to 18 months ago, the incentives provided in those contracts and kind of counted on to facilitate that player's journey through professional pickleball is no longer really relevant. Hmm. Um, now they're still under contract and they still have to, you know, honor their obligations. But hopefully the athlete wants to be with the company and the company wants the athlete to be compensated and be able to perform at their best. And so we work through those issues together. So since you're involved in a lot of these conversations with the, uh, you know, the manufacturers and I'm sure with, you know, some officials, with, you know, the different tournaments, and leagues, I was like, what do you think is going to happen moving forward? Like, how is this all going to work out? Because, you know, it doesn't seem like it's sustainable the way it is right now for a couple of different reasons, right? So what do you think is going to happen? It's certainly not sustainable today uh, because everything is contingent on PPA and MLP coming together and merging. Um, and I do think that will happen. In fact, prior to this podcast, I spoke with one of the leaders at MLP, and he is confident that a merger will be worked out. However, the timing remains in flux and difficult. And like I said, you have, you have a lot of very talented, experienced, and rich people who are involved at various levels, whether they own a team, or whether they're trying to fund or they're a partner with the PPA somehow. Um, and all these people have different interests and viewpoints that have to come together uh, to, to facilitate the deal to, to come through. Um, I am confident that the merger will happen. I am not confident as to when. Hmm. Um, so for example, this weekend coming up, a lot of our athletes are traveling to Phoenix to play PPA Desert Ridge and they're financing that personally. Um, and there's no guarantee of prize money compensation if they do well. And like we've said, oftentimes the prize money match isn't there. My advice to most of them has been, hopefully this is a short-term issue and you're investing in your brand and you're supporting your sponsor's brand and it's, you have to look at this as an investment in your career, your personal brand. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a financial burden that's not being, that's coming directly out of the player's pockets. Um, not only that, to be a professional 
athlete, unless you are a contracted player at the PPA, you have to pay to play in that event and in and of your itself. Right. Uh, and a lot of people don't realize it takes about, let's say you're a top 20 athlete, but you don't have a PPA contract just to enter all three divisions costs approximately $600. Wow. And so that's fly, just to, to enter. That's just to enter. And then you may, you may be, you don't really know until the week prior what your draw looks like, where you were seated, what are you, do you have to play in the qualifiers? The qualifiers are risky now, right? Because even if you've been a top 20 player for your whole career, there's a lot of young talent flooding, yeah. the, flooding those qualities. And those qualities are, those are legit. Um, you're not steamrolling through the qualities anymore. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting time. It's an interesting landscape. It, yeah, really. In the, in the pro world of pickleball, things are a little bit tense, but <laughs> it's, it's good because, you know, I mean, I think this just shows the growth of the sport and hopefully if things are done right now that we can move forward and continue to grow in a better, more positive direction. Um, it what's it? Yeah, I was curious though, what is it like to be an agent, a, a professional pickleball sports agent? Because this can't be your day to day, is you know, talking about You know, about I, I'll, I'll be frankly honest. This is this, I did not launch this to be my day to day. However, it takes a tremendous amount of time and phone calls with whether it's a sponsorship phone call that you have calendared for 30 minutes ends up taking an hour because you get along with the guy or the girl and it's great or your players and hopefully they're not listening but maybe they are they call you up for a quick five minutes that inevitably is always an hour um but it's really fun it's interesting so it has been time consuming the the ppa mlp chaos is unfortunately taking a tremendous amount of time I wish I could be hunting down endorsement contracts for our players. Um, the other thing, interesting thing in pickleball is you, there's so many opportunities. There's so many new emerging brands and companies. You don't always know if you're talking to someone who does have a legit business or is frankly, you know, private labeling and stamping logos on stuff they get internationally um the affiliate model is one that's pretty interesting in a lot of avenues and other um sports however pickleball doesn't really have the instagram following to make that profitable for mm -hmm. a lot of our athletes you could take al or ben for example and while it's impressive on one level that they have 50 or 60 or 70,000 followers for a plunge company or for a supplement brand, they're not really even interested in you until you're a hundred, 200, 300. Really? Um, yeah. I mean the, the, the affiliate slash influencer world, a lot of, you know, a lot of these workout people or nutrition influencers, have been at, at it and doing it really well for a long time. And they understand the Instagram algorithm and they, they have 300, 400, 500,000 followers. So while a pickleball star 
you know, is influential in the pickleball world, and but you present them with 5,000 or 7,000 followers, it's not as interesting. And so driving affiliate revenue from a coupon code or a discount code that they may or may not be interested in, it doesn't really turn over the substantial money to a pickleball athlete. You know, I always thought, you know, before talking to you about this, that, you know, the, you know, I would say, you know, the top 20 pros, the people you see showing up very often in quarters, semis, finals of, of tournaments, both men and women would have a pretty easy time getting sponsorships. But it doesn't sound like that's the case. It sounds like not only is it a challenge as far as, you know, the contract goes and prize money goes, but there's not a lot of sponsorship money actually to be made either. And especially if you're below the top 20 players in the world. Yeah, I mean, that's right. And sure, the, the, the quote unquote easy money is the are the major paddle manufacturers. Um and you know they have their established relationships often and they've written their big checks already or so if there if it is time to renegotiate sure that's an opportunity to make quote unquote substantial money in the space um but the rest of the sponsorship and endorsement money is either flowing to the tours because frankly it's you're getting a lot more eyeballs by sponsoring mm -hmm. a single event and you're kind of managing the process, you know, one and done uh, to get eyeballs onto your brand, or it's convincing a brand that you're not, you're not really, you shouldn't really look at the pickleball athlete by exactly how many followers they have. You're, you're, you're purchasing credibility and establishment to the entire pickleball landscape by a top professional representing your brand um yeah. so incredibility is a is is a very subjective number to negotiate um, right but there's so many up-and-coming companies that do want to get their name out there and add credibility to their brand uh, you know hopefully you know they are legit and they're gonna they have some longevity to them and, and have some money behind them that they can get to the players Right. And it's not impossible. I mean, we have great, we have great relationships with a host of brands and companies and we're looking to explore, you know, hundreds or thousands more. Um, but a lot of that is grunt is grunt level work, uh, reaching out on social media or reaching out via email, establishing those relationships when you're at in-person events. For example, uh, my business partner and I were just at the PGA Expo in Orlando. And there was, you know, the golf section was, uh, had to be miles inside the convention center, but the pickleball carve out was 10 times what it was the year before I heard. Um, so yes, the appetite and growth is there. Uh, it's finding and building the right relationships with the right people and aligning your interests and your athletes' interests. Um, to maximize ROI from everyone's perspective. Yeah, I, I used to go to that PGA show every year. I was in the golf industry for a number of years, and I would go to that show, and it was just strictly golf. It's not like tennis had their own section. I mean, right. it, was, it was it was all golf. But then now, and I saw your post uh, that uh, you know pickleball they had a full on court 
that you, you got to play on. I mean, they had all the defenders. They, they had, I mean, Pickleball actually made a, a huge, you know, presence, had a huge presence at the PGA show. And I'm like, okay, this is a really positive sign for the sport. Or it's a negative sign for golf. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> well, you traded in your club. <laughs> yeah, there was, and I don't play as much golf as I used to either. Um, yeah, I mean, it helps to have brands that really fronted the exposure for pickleball there, like Skechers, like ProXR, like uh, Selkirk, who kind of negotiated or carved out a whole section for themselves. And yeah. Put those courts in. Super cool. Yeah. Well, you know, we're seeing it more and more. You know, we just pop up in like commercials and shows, and That's there's right. been an explosion of number of players over the years. Where do you see the sport going in the next few years to come? Because it feels like we're at like a turning point almost where something needs to happen. You know, so they say, and I and I have no way, no way to verify or doubt this number, but 40 million people played in the United States last year. The unfortunate thing is when you pull up a live stream of a professional event, the numbers watching are still in the thousands. So I, you know, for an event like is going to, ESPN is hosting next week at Hard Rock where Agassi and Sharapova and Graf and McEnroe are playing, they're going to get millions of views. Um, I believe it's next Wednesday they have to somehow figure out how to make the recreational player or at least five or 10% of the recreational player care about watching the professional game. And there's a variety of creative ways that they can do that. And it will just happen naturally as well, but clearly a consistent TV exposure like I, I'm an agent and have eight clients and oftentimes the player's wife and myself are texting about, Hey, when is the, when is this client going to be on? Is he going to be streamed? How can I watch it? We have no idea. Um, so the average viewer, that's very frustrating. They want to watch their favorite players. They oftentimes, maybe they do, maybe they don't want to watch the exact same players over and over again. Um, mm -hmm. I think MLP was really exciting when ESPN aired the finals yeah. a year and a half or a year ago. I think that really jump-started some interest and exposure to that team format. I think being local in a community, um, if they can secure vent, you know, regular venues and piggyback on a AAA baseball or minor league hockey model would be interesting. Yeah, um, that would be good. I've said, and I've used the example that UFC in 2005 basically broke, smashed into normal households and not just uh, MMA households by creating a reality a reality show called "You The Ultimate Fighter." And if you look at their viewership from before that show to after that show, it went up five or tenfold. If you can create a way for people to really know and understand and love or hate a given personality or player, they're going to want to, they're going to want to watch them compete. Um, I think that's an interesting avenue too. 
Yeah. I mean, the little background on us, David, is uh, Bridgie and I were in on a reality show about pickleball. What about okay. a year and a half ago now, Bridgie? It's, it's, yeah. it's been a while. <clears throat> and it was really exciting. It was a lot of fun, obviously, for us to be on it. But we thought, oh, my gosh, you know, they were shopping it around to different networks. We thought immediately this is going to be picked up because the sport was so popular and it's growing so quickly. But even with that, they had a challenge trying to find, you know, a network or who they're going to get picked up by. Eventually they did, which is wonderful, but it took them a while. It wasn't yeah. for them. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, it, it helps now that there's more competitive streaming platforms looking for opportunities like that. I mean, you can also use F1. F1 is crazy popular worldwide, obviously, but it really didn't resonate in America until Netflix picked up reality yeah. f1 show and now normal people watch car racing in the united states or at least a lot more do um and and, and yeah i think there's an amazing up, opportunity tear up Ricky's home they tear up a lot, all of las vegas to, oh to my gosh one. yeah that brought so much trouble <laughs> <laughs> i didn't mean to interrupt david sorry no you're good you're good but, but yeah, I, I totally agree with the the point that you're making. I think that, you know, it does need some type of media support on a consistent basis so that people know they can watch or, you know, really get engaged with some of the up and coming players, right? Not just the top players. I think all of that would be very helpful for the longevity of the sport. Agreed. But I mean, you got to, the, the, the numbers, and there's an interesting article about uh, China this morning on what is it one of the agency blogs um i'm blanking on the but i mean the when it becomes an olympic sport the international exposure will explode the i mean we can we all know the the attractiveness of pickleball you can go out with an eight-year-old and an 80-year-old and they can play competitively from basically day one um, but playing as a professional is obviously a far more strategic, nuanced journey. Um, but I don't see I don't see the sl the growth slowing at all from a recreational play standpoint. And you just need a small percentage of that to watch for ad revenues to be generated from a TV exposure. Yeah, well, definitely exciting times in the pickleball world. And, you know, Absolutely. we really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of your knowledge and the insight because, wow, I don't think, you know, the average rec player truly knows what's going on behind scenes. So that's pretty cool that we were able to get that from you. Well, I appreciate the time and thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. It was so informative. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad we were able to share and, and drop some of that knowledge on, on our audience and speaking of our audience, thank you so much for continuing to listen to Third Shot Podcast. We love having you on. We have our goal of making sure we have more interesting guests just like David Hathaway. <laughs> Before we let you go, David, we have to take our third shot of the, the show. Shot. So please cheers to David Hathaway, the future <laughs> of professional pickleball and the godfather pickleball agency. Congratulations on what you've accomplished. Thank you so much. You guys have a great day. You Thank too. You. And our goal is we're going to keep bringing more guests just like David on in future episodes and continue to share our, um, our goal to make sure that we have a growth in this pickleball sport, um, whether it's professional, more likely amateur, right? Let's just keep growing it together. 
And uh, please come back and share with more with us on Third Shot Podcast. See you later.